0: Hello, and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. For those of you who don't know, I run the website smellslikeeffendentsadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I am a proud middle aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. But for anyone who's following my blog, you also know that I like to talk about movies. If you follow my podcast recently, you've heard episodes where we discuss the best and bad films, but this time we're going to do something a little bit different and discuss Fantastic Fest 2018. For those who haven't done it, it's a really cool festival at the Austin, Texas Alamo Drafthouse where it shows a variety of genre films from across the world, from international directors to domestic films. This year I got to do it again. It was a lot of fun. I got to see the new Halloween film. I actually got to meet a certain celebrity, which I'll be talking about here soon. And to do so, I'm going to be discussing this with my friend Dave Dirksen, who was kind enough to give me a free pass this year to Fantastic Fest. So we're going to discuss all the films that we saw, uh, from the best to the worst. There's a lot of fun stuff. In addition to Halloween, we saw the premiere of Suspiria and a ton of other cool stuff. So sit back, listen to uh, the best of 2018 Fantastic Fest, and enjoy. So first off, I wanted to talk about how I was given this year a free pass a fantastic fest I've, I've covered it before for a site called examiner which is no longer with us and so my good friend dave dirksen offered me a free pass it was an awesome awesome experience so thank you to you for doing that first off before we get started that was a very nice solid to me so i had a really good time doing it so i wanted to say start off with that first
1: yeah there's the, the local radio station i just have been very kind to me this year <laughs> <laughs> so uh I was very, I was very pleased, and I, uh, I think we both owe our families uh, a great deal of gratitude since we won these things the day before the festival started, and I think we both had to do a, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> is it okay if we disappear for eight days while you take care of the kids? <laughs>
0: Yeah, because that's where it's saying, because people who don't know Fantastic Fest, who aren't from Austin or have ever been, it is it is an eight-day film festival, which is pretty insane. I don't know what the average film festivals go. I don't know like what like Cannes Film Festival, how long that lasts, or how long Sundance lasts, or the TIFF or anything like that. I have no idea. But eight days, it's a it's a long haul, and they, you basically got four movies to choose from per day. And when you choose at your –
1: Five. F- five. five. Oh, yeah, five days.
0: Yeah, so five. Yeah, so you got from early in the morning to late at night. And you basically pick your first pick that you want. via this app, and you pick your second, third, or fourth pick. And then if you're lucky out, and you get your first pick, great. If not, you can try to swap out tickets. So it's it's a pretty pretty elegant system they have in place now at the Alma Draft House, which makes it a lot easier, I think, than it maybe was before uh, that was going. I think everybody kind of gets gets their way because obviously the first thing that that when you told me I had a, a pass that got my excitement was that they were showing the new Halloween film. Which I was frantically looking for a ticket, and of course, first off, they were all all the seats were full, and I kept. I think I must have checked like every thirty minutes, and then like at one o'clock in the morning, I saw one. I was like, "Yes!" So I was very excited, and I got down there. And I know you couldn't make it to that show, so I was just, (laughs) which I wish you could have been there with me, so we could watch it together. So I got there and bumped into Mike Vanderbilt, who is a writer for Daily Grindhouse. He's written for uh, The Onion of Consequences Sounds. So I saw him a few years ago, so I got to catch up with him for a little bit. So I was talking to him, and we were waiting to go see Halloween, and all of a sudden we see this person walk to the crowd and look towards us, and it was actually Jamie Lee Curtis. And we were all thought we were kind of hallucinating. She came up to us and asked if we were all going to get in to see the show. I tried to explain that I had a pass, but I barely got out an intelligible sentence. It was, <laughs> I, I couldn't even like figure it out. And, and after she, you know, she basically, I spoke about five or six seconds and, and just said, hope you guys enjoy the movie, walked off. And she actually tapped this guy on the shoulder behind me and said, make sure you get in. And that's kind of small talk. And then he called his mom immediately afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was an, an absolutely like, really cool geek moments. So that I was already pumped up for that. So, so we got in and watched the movie. I've got kind of complicated feelings towards this movie because I'm a massive Halloween fan. I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. i Halloween's probably my, I mean, I could probably say is my favorite for horror film. i that thing kind of changed. Definitely my top five horror films for sure. So I had a lot of anticipation for it. I thought that a lot of things, right. Some things I wasn't that crazy about the middle section was, Kind of weird. I wanted to see it again, but, uh, still some really fun stuff. The score was great. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was awesome. I think there's a lot of fun elements for the fans on that. And then afterwards, of course they had a Q and a with, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Danny McBride, who wrote the script and some other people, the, uh, Blumhouse, the producer, which is really fun. So that was about as good of a first fantastic fest night as, as you could get. And that was probably the biggest film of, of the, um, uh, festival but we also saw on the on the closing night we saw Bad Times at the El Royale which is another very highly anticipated film so I kind of want to get your thoughts on that and then we can move on from that but what were your thoughts of Bad Times at the El Royale which was the closing film I should add of Fantastic Fest
1: 2018 right and in case anyone listening is, n- is not aware about Fantastic Fest in general it's a you know it's a lot of genre films uh horror Thriller, fantasy, weird stuff, revival films, things like that, and then and then I'll and then uh, they always try to have some big ticket films. Some of those, as we will discuss later, don't really even fit into necessarily a fantastic fest mode, but I think they're just like, yeah, we'll show it. Um, but bad times was yeah, it was the closing night film, and I enjoyed it this it was a week ago that we saw it, and it hasn't really stuck with me too much. Mm-hmm. Um, it is written by drew I'm gonna butcher names through this whole podcast by the way, I've got them written down, and uh, <laughs> probably shouldn't have done drew drew Goddard that's I'll say drew goddard he uh his last movie was uh, Cabin in the Woods, which is a film I love dearly thought is a lot of fun and he was a writer for lost which don't whoever's listening don't don't shun me but it is one of my all-time favorite tv shows so I, lo- I like the guy i like his i like his writing i like his projects um and the movie itself which uh i think it comes out this it may be out by the time you're listening to this um The gist of the movie, if you are not aware, is there are, I think it's four, four people show up at this hotel. It's on the border of California and Nevada, Mm -hmm. right? And, and, uh, used to be this really fancy, nice hotel back in the sixties. This movie takes place, I think early seventies. And now it's run into disrepair and disrepute to some extent. And these four people show up and they all have secrets and the pe- person working there has a secret. There's only like one guy working there and, uh, it's got a great cast. John Hamm nails it. Jeff Bridges nails it. Yeah, He's still the movie. Um, yeah, he did. Um, and, and, uh, my personal favorite, I know I know the singing, the singing was a little too much for you, but uh, Cynthia Arriva, I think is that how you say her name, she plays a soul singer. And I love Motown to death, so there's a lot of Motown songs in it. And anyway, uh, violence ensues, twists occur, and it does get dark. And I appreciated how dark it got. I mean, I think I, it has stuck with me. I mean, I haven't forgotten it. It's not disposable. Um, but it, I still remember it. I would recommend it to my dad in a heartbeat. It's a lot of fun. Um, but for as dark as it gets, it never punched me in the gut. Yeah. It ne- I was never, I was never like, Oh, that hurts. You know, I, because the, the characters are very, there's so many characters they have the service. They are very big, broad characters. Um, they are basically big movie characters with a secret. And, you know, they—they they, the, each one of the characters gets kind of a flashback moment so that you can relate to them. So when something bad happens to them, you're supposed to go, oh, that sucks. But it never, it never really jumped to a Tarantino-level film, which I think, this is kind of what it's getting compared to for, for good reason. Um, but I still enjoyed it at the time. I I think I liked it better than you did maybe, but, um, I can't say it's a a classic, you know, of the genre. It's just a lot of fun and, um, you know, that's good enough. It's probably better than 80% of what gets released, but, uh, it certainly wasn't my favorite movie I saw. Uh, during Fantastic
0: Fest. Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a stylish film. I liked how it looked a lot and there was some good acting in it. I just felt I don't really know if I I don't know if I should give away who the villain was, almost so big but I never really felt that, that was that he was kind of holding his own in that area. That's kinda of, where you top in that film a lot of threat. I think that was where it kind of uh, was kinda of lagging for me. But I think from a production design standpoint, I think Jeff Bridges was great. There was definitely some cool stuff to it. But yeah, I, I think it was, it was fine to watch once, but I don't see when I'm going to be watching over and over again. Like so many films that I saw this year that I might watch again. We'll see. But that wasn't one that I'm like, oh, I can't wait to watch that again. I was like, oh, it's, it's pretty good.
1: And yeah. If, if if my if my dad wants to go, uh, I'll, I'll go with him. It'll be fine Or if he, he buys the DVD, I'll let him buy the DVD. Exactly. we'll watch it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. Um, so should we talk about the Dakota Dakota Fanning was in uh, bad times at the El Royale and she was, she was just fine in it. She was good. Uh, and, uh, we want to move on to the other Dakota Fanning film that we saw during the festival.
0: Yeah. And, and that's something that, uh, it was, I guess, made this Fantastic Fest was every every year they have at least one or two secret screenings. This year they only had one, and it was turned out to be the North American premiere of Suspiria. Which I speaking of names, you can't. What is the director's name for the remake? I can't. I don't know his name.
1: I'm gonna butcher it. I'm telling you, uh, it is the remake is uh, Luca Guadagnino. And he, uh, this, uh Luca Guadagnino who uh, the director directed last year's Call Me By Your Name which was a a very uh award friendly film that a lot of people loved and I actually really enjoyed it a lot um so he's he's a classy artsy director um so
0: yeah so when we found out that we were going to see Suspiria we were all very and that he
1: was taking on this
0: very very pumped yeah
1: Yeah, so so uh, it was uh, what I thought was funny. Just to give you a a little, everyone out there, a little bit about Fantastic Fest these secret screenings. People, it's hard. They're hard to get into. We were lucky to get into it. You don't know what it's going to be beforehand, and sometimes it might be some revival film, weird, weird film from a long time ago that's like a cult thing or whatever. Sometimes it has I don't know. Sometimes it's, it's awesome. Sometimes it's, you just don't know what it's going to be. And the usual consensus on these things from what I've heard from regular attendees is no one can guess. Right. But this whole festival leading up to it, everyone's like, is it Suspiria? It's probably not Suspiria because we all want it to be Suspiria. And, and, and that was kind of the vibe going on. And it turned out to be Suspiria and everyone was super excited. I was, this was my most anticipated, horror film of the year, because in my opinion, like some of the best horror out there is not directed by horror directors. You know, you got your Steven Spielberg, William Friedkin, uh, Stanley Kubrick, you know, these guys that, uh, Ridley Scott, these guys have directed my favorite horror movies and they are just as good at directing any movie. Whereas I think directors who only stick to horror eh, kind of tend to do the same thing over and over again. So I was very, very excited about this movie.
0: And I was, and I was too. I was, I was very excited about it. And you know, you're talking about directors who are not only known as horror directors that do really well. I mean, this year we had John Krasinski with The Quiet Place, which is a perfect example yes. of someone who can, who can do that. So helping some Exactly. Someone- that could be repeated. And I think there's one film this year that people are either going to love it or hate it or just be like, I don't know, it's going to be Suspiria. There was not a lot of, I, I, I mean, I guess I'm glad I watched it. I mean, it was cool that we got to see the first showing in America, but I can't say it's a film I, I liked very much. I wish I could not say that and say I loved it. And it was like the most amazing thing you're going to see this year. But I felt it just something about it did not connect with me.
1: Well, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. It was a big, it was a big disappointment for me. Um, what I think is hilarious about it is they had the the director, <clears throat> they had a little video of him introducing the film. He talked about how much he loved Dario Argento's original Suspiria, which if, you know, folks out there haven't seen it, you should, it is gone so weird. It's, super hyper colorful, really violent and eerie. There's plot doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it and I am not precious about it, but I appreciate it for being the weirdo piece that it is. So he this guy claims to have loved it and he went and made the exact opposite.
0: movie. Yeah, I mean, it's...
1: whereas the original Suspiria's plot is, sort of beside the point this movie had like four different kind of plots going on you had so the 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 basic gist of the movie is dakota johnson she comes to berlin in the is it the late 70s yeah Um, berlin is going through some rough cold war kind of stuff uh That is a subplot that they try to, I think, make as a metaphor for what's going on in this dance school. And the dance school is run by witches. And Dakota Johnson has got some kind of great dancing evil power in her that that the witches are going to use to do something or other. And there's a lot of politics within the witch coven about who's going to be the leader. And then there's the usual, oh, the students have to interact. And and there's a lot of dance scenes which are wonderfully shot. Um, and the score was great. Tom York of Radiohead did the score. Love that. Um, then there's the old man who is searching for a student who went missing and we have to learn about his backstory. And it is a lot going on plot-wise. And... And he shoots it in his very artsy, slow way. It is so slow, and uh, it. it so I'm I'm all about the slow burn. I'm not about jump scare, instant gratification. But man, yeah, it's too. just slow. And uh, and then there's these moments where it's like, okay, here we go. Disturbing thing happens. Great, it's a the the first very disturbing scene. You can read about it online because they showed it to critics or they showed it to some convention early on. I wish I hadn't read about it because it's the best scene in the movie. Um, It's very disturbing. And then it just slows down again. It never gets any momentum until the last 15 minutes when suddenly the filmmaker said, oh, yeah, I'm remaking a silly movie about witches and now I'm going to go crazy with it. Crazy. And it gets really violent and nuts and colorful at the end. That's the other thing. It's shot very, very drab.
0: Which is really I mean, weird. I mean, I, I guess he was just like, I got to make it so different from the first, but it was like, everything's like earth tones and very... Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, if you had to compare it, I guess, visually to another film, I would probably compare it to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which was another 70s uh, set film, at the very same kind of visual palette, I think. It just from a look standpoint, story standpoint, obviously very different, but they had very similar, like retro seventies uh, look. So all that, that Argento bright splashes of color, vividness, there was, you know, besides that one scene that you mentioned, there's, it's not anything like that in this film. So that, that was kind of jarring, but I, I appreciate it trying to be different on that. The problem was there's also a political uh, <laughs> layer, layer to this film. It's a really obscure point of political history in Germany, which, uh, in addition to being so long ago, a lot of people won't really know about it or understand it so it it doesn't provide much context for me in this film. It just kind of distracted it from me, and so I felt like yeah they're, it's it, they're just you're correct too many <laughs> there' too many of those elements distracting from the main story, which I wouldn't know about the main story. There was too much dance in this film. I mean, it's obviously about a dancer, but they really they lots of dancing. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of dancing, so so yeah. So I I think from a visual level, from a you know, it's a fine looking movie. Uh, Tom Tom's score is is nice, but it doesn't match the weirdness of Goblin's original scores. So I just feel like I just don't have a a good opinion on The Spirit. It just it was just kind of there and it left me. And and I, I if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like split right down the middle. People either love it or hate it, and I think it's gonna be one of those films that. You know the person introduced it. I forget that guy's name it always those the introductions. But he was just like, you know. Had a oh heart, yeah, he had, loved it. He had a heart favorite on favorite movie
1: it. of the year. He's watched it three times. Yeah. I I don't hate it, but golly, it's 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 really long. Too long. It's it's super long, and it's just it's and it's not scary. I'll just say say that.
0: No, it's not now, scary at all. We're
1: we are we are older. It takes a lot to scare me now. Um, and I'm about, I think we're about to transition into uh, some of the other horror movies that we, we saw during the festival, because that's kind of my big draw, is I'm always looking for something that's going to freak me out, leave me disturbed. Um, one of the greatest, fantastic, best. one of the greatest theater moments I've ever had in my life was at Fantastic Festing seeing Martyrs for the first <laughs> time, uh, which, yeah, that's not for everyone. Um, but I loved it, and that was that. Mo- that movie genuinely freaked me out. And we're seeing Antichrist, which is a movie I don't like, but it was it genuinely disturbed me. And I'm weird like that. I, I wanted to be disturbed by this, and other than maybe one scene, which I was already I already knew was coming, it just didn't do it for me. Yeah. So. I recommend seeing it if you're a horror fan. You know, I I can't say that you're that everyone's gonna that it's a bad movie, but man, it really just didn't work for me at all. <clears throat> so, uh should we talk, talk
0: start
1: about talking the, about some of the other movies?
0: Yeah, talk about the ones that, that did work for you in the horror genre. Which ones did you did Okay.
1: You, I'm gonna blast through these or this this podcast could last forever, but uh uh my favorite horror movie was it's borderline horror. It has some horrific moments. It has some really surreal horror moments in it. But it's this taut little thriller called Piercing. And it was directed by... Let me check my notes here. Um, directed by Nicholas... Another name that I'm probably going to get wrong. Pesce? Pesce? He directed a movie called The Eyes... Of my mother, which I really want to see. I've heard good things about it, um, but it is a De Palma, Brian De Palma, esque film. Or it starts off that way about a dude who hears voices that tell him to kill people, and nice. and it's it's darkly comic. At the very beginning, his little he he's about to stab his infant baby. Oh, <laughs> oh God! Infant <laughs> baby, and then the, I know. I know. It's a, it's a happy film. And then the, (laughs) he doesn't do it. Spoiler alert. But then the baby, well, I'll just just tell you, there there there's some comedy moments where the guy's clearly not right, but he's this kind of nerdy Paul Rudd-esque dude. That's who he reminded me of. I could totally see Paul Rudd in the role. He's kind of clean cut, white guy, just, like, seemingly a nice guy, but he goes to, he's got this whole plan, which he acts out by himself in hilarious fashion of how he's going to murder a prostitute playing, played by Mia Wasikowska, who you have seen, I think she was in the, that Crimson, the Guillermo del Toro movie? Oh, yeah, she
0: was in Alice in Wonderland. and
1: uh... Alice in Wonderland, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, she's great in this. So. He has this whole plan for how he's going to perform this perfect violent murder and then she shows up and she is not what he bargained for she is a strange bird in and of herself and hijinks ensue it's a very short movie it's under an hour and a half it's almost like a play in some ways it gets really there's a breakdown in the middle that's absolutely bizarre um it's a lot of fun it's There's not a lot to it. Um, I think of something like rope. Okay. Hitchcock. Something, you know, it sort of takes place in one location, mostly, mostly. Um, but it it, gets weird. And, and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, the other horror movies I saw were foreign films. um, the great thing about fantastic fest is that you can see a lot of movies from other countries that you're not going to get to see. They're not going to be readily available to you unless you really hunt for it. You may not even know it exists. And I think seeing movies from other countries to expose you to other cultures. And, you know, I talked about how horror movies don't really scare me much anymore. You have to have a hook. So I think the cultural hook of seeing a movie in a foreign language, um, can bolster that movie so one of those movies with the night shifter it takes place in brazil it's about a guy who can talk to corpses and it's shot really cool they, he was a cor. the guy's a coroner dead bodies come in and then when everyone leaves the room the dead body wakes up and just talks to the guy like normal oh awesome. kind of a yeah it's kind of a weird plot device and what ends up happening is One of the, a lot of these guys, the guy lives in kind of a bad part of town. A lot of these dead bodies are criminals and the, one of the criminals divulges a secret to the coroner, which the coroner then uses to exact revenge on the guy who's porking his wife, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And uh bad thing happens, the, the uh, crime against that guy goes wrong, other people die, and then he's cursed, because uh, it's not really explained very well, but apparently, if you give away a dead man's secret, uh, you are cursed. And so he's cursed by this ghost, and he starts going crazy, and there's a lot of set pieces that are a lot of fun. It's not... It's not a classic either, but I enjoyed it a lot more than Suspiria. I thought it was uh, far scarier in a fun and carnival kind of way. Um, it was a lot of fun, even though the subject matter is kind of dark. And it was just cool to see the um, you know shot in Brazil. I don't know what city, but it's just a different locale from your typical American horror movie. And the characters, you cared about the characters. This is a guy who has kids, and his kids are in danger throughout the movie. And uh, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen. I thought it was a really fun movie. Uh, and then uh, I recommend that. Then the movie, uh, and then finally, my last, I guess, the last horror movie that I saw at the festival, traditional horror movie, was Border which is, a, uh, I think it's a Danish movie, um, and it was very well hyped because it was written by another name I'm going to get wrong, John John Lindqvist. John Linkvist is Swedish, <laughs> and uh, he wrote um, Let the Right One In,
0: oh, okay. which, is
1: a cl- which is a classic movie. He wrote the book, and the screenplay for that movie. I love that movie greatly. Me too. It's a slow burn movie. It's, it's not particularly scary, but it's got great characters. It's really beautiful. It's almost like a fairy tale. Border is written by him as well, based on his short story, but he also co-wrote the screenplay. I'm not going to give it away. Everyone says don't give away anything about Border, so I won't. But let's just say it also has a fairy tale quality. And it's about someone who does not. She looks very strange by human standards at all. I mean, she's got a very weird looking face, and she's got weird powers. She can. She works a. Uh, she works along the border of whatever country she's in, and she's like a customs agent. And she can sniff when people are guilty of something. So she sniffs, and then they whoever, she snips over and they're usually holding some kind of contraband. Interesting. And she ends up meeting somebody. She feels out of place in the world. She's unhappy. She's, you know, it's kind of a sad, she's kind of a sad sack for obviously reasons. She's been bullied her whole life. And then she meets somebody similar to her who helps show her kind of where she fits in in the world. And I'll leave it at that. It's not I wouldn't even call it a horror movie because it never really gets scary or horrific, but it gets weird. It gets strange. Um, one scene in particular is probably going to be the talk of the whole thing. I uh, will not give it away, but I was like, oh, that is weird. <laughs> um, I liked it. I didn't love it. It's super slow, too, but not a good slow, but. And it's a character piece, but I was hoping it might actually get scary or horrific, you know, like *Let the Right One In*, which is more my thing. But I think it's a it's a nice film. It, it does get dark, but uh, anyway, I recommend checking it out if you're a fan of *Let the Right One In* or that writer. I've read several of his books, and he's kind of the Swedish Stephen King. He writes some cool stories, so uh, check that out. Um, uh, you saw Terrified, which won the jury award for best horror film at Fantastic Fest. I did not see that.
0: I was I was very curious to see it. I kind of took it on a dare, saying it's the best horror film at Fantastic Fest, so let's see what what you got for me. And uh, it's speaking of foreign, it was a Argentina Argentina horror, horror film, and uh, it was it was a it was a fun flick. It had a lot of good a lot of good jump scares, which I'm not the biggest jump scare person. They did a really good job with it. And it was basically about, about this neighbor that gets haunted by this spirit. And it was full of really good sight gags of this weird creature kind of attacking people and, and some really good optical effects. that they did with it. The story wasn't, wasn't the best in the world. It kind of meandered. And one of the guys that put the dramatic lead, I don't know. He was, he was so, he almost looked like kind of like, the and Mel Gibson. And he, he had such low energy. It, it was like, he's in a different film for some reason. So he was, he was kind of distracting. It was a very odd fit, but it was still, it, it, it basically reminded me of kind of a more, I guess like a more uh, graphic poltergeist kind of thing. Lots of you know haunted house things, researchers trying to figure out what's attacking this neighborhood. And so there was some fun, there was some fun elements to it. I wouldn't say it's the best horror film I've seen or, or, uh, Anything like that. But it, it was it was worth watching. There was definitely some, some good moments that the audience was screaming and and some there was some a couple moments particularly that, that really stood out. So it was it was a fun it was a fun watch. You saw a film called Deadly Games, so why don't you tell people about yes, that one?
1: Deadly Games is a French French film, I think, from nineteen ninety. Um this movie was nuts. And it was hilariously nuts. And it's kind of a comedy, it's kind of a home alone spoof. It's about a boy and his grandfather who are home alone in this giant castle. It's really weird. His mom's like (laughs) super loaded, like super rich. His mom is off working on Christmas Eve. She's, uh, she didn't forget him or anything. She's just working and he's with his grandfather and his mom has pissed off this, I guess a homeless guy. I don't know. This guy who might is implied. He might be a child molester. They don't (laughs) say that, but they imply it. And he also, he may just be a guy who wants to play with children. At the beginning, he tries to play with a bunch of kids and they run away from him. But anyway, his mom pisses this guy off. And so he dresses up like Santa Claus. He's smart enough to figure out where she lives. And she, he goes to try and kill her son. And it's plays for comedy. there are a lot of comedic moments in it um it the language in it, you know the cursing in it at least in the subtitles is very minimal. It's a very p g cursing kind of movie. The violence is mostly bloodless I mean it's not gory. a lot of it happens off screen, but it is pretty dark. I mean the guy flat out murders people in this house, and he chases this kid and the tone is just all over the place. It's, it is part Amblin fun movie and part horror movie. And it never really, you couldn't, you couldn't make it now. People would be like, this is crazy. But in the context of seeing it at fantastic fest, it was a lot of fun and it ends on a bleak outlook. I mean, (laughs) it doesn't, it does not end with, oh, yay, sunshine. It I mean, it's so weird. Uh, I had a great time with it and a great time watching it in a theater, which leads me to our next segment, which are the Netflix movies. Um, Netflix had several movies at the festival. Um, I did not see uh, Apostle, which you are about to talk about. I'm sorry I missed that. <laughs> but... Uh, the other two movies uh, that I did see, uh, which I will talk about also, The Night Comes for Us and "Hold the Dark, um, they beg to be seen on the big screen. And uh, I know Netflix is showing some of these movies in very limited uh, fashion, but if you can see any of these movies on the big screen, I highly recommend that you do. Uh, they're worthy of it. They're worthy of seeing with an audience, and Fantastic Fest reminds you about the theater experience and how great it can be. I dare say um, these movies I would not have enjoyed as much watching them at home, trying to keep the volume down so the family doesn't get disturbed, you know, after they're asleep. Um, seeing them in, on the big screen is a big deal. So that's my that's my spiel about Netflix films. But go ahead, and uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Apostle. I'm eagerly uh, waiting, awaiting that film.
0: Yeah, the Apostle was, was really was interesting. It's directed by. i want to make sure I get his name right. Is it Gareth Edwards or Gareth Evans? I get them confused because there's two directors. I think
1: it's Gareth. Ed, I think it's Gareth Evans.
0: Okay, Evans, and he's best known for directing the first two Raid films, which of course are just crazy Gonzo action movies, martial arts action movies. This is a big change of pace for him. This is is. It's a horror film, and it's a period piece, so it it definitely will bring a uh, comparison to The Wicker Man as far as I, it stars Dan Stevens, who plays this um, brother who wants to get his sister from this cult off in this uh, English isle, and he wants to rescue her from this kind of uh, Mormonish uh Scientologist type of, of colony led by Michael Sheehan. And he gets there, and he's trying to figure out their ways without being uh, seen as being an interloper. So it's very much very much in the same vein as the Wicker Man, um, but it's got that director style that's really kind of hyper-stylized, very uh, just frenetic, uh, lots of crazy shots. And it starts off with him just kind of getting involved into this society, trying to figure out where his sister's at, and learning the, the ins and outs, and you know, the rules they have, which are change on any given day. And then he finds out that it's not just that like this group of people are sinister or twisted. It's, it's got a, it's got a very supernatural underpinning, which I won't talk about in detail, but that's really where the, where the film kind of gets really crazy. And there are some really crazy um, fights in this film. There's some totally gruesome torture scenes. Um, it's very, uh, very over the top, but I really enjoyed it. Dan Stevens, of course is great. Michael Sheehan, of course is great. Uh, There's another actor. I don't remember his name, but he really steals the show. He's a total twisted motherfucker. I mean, he, you you hate this guy from the moment he comes on screen and he plays a great villain and he gets a great comeuppance. So I would definitely say that, that possible is definitely worth watching. If it's on Netflix, you should definitely check it out. If you like stuff that's really gory, that's really intense, it's not going to be for everybody because some people may find it's a little bit too much or, kind of too over the top. But if you can, if you like that kind of really pedal to the metal kind of filmmaking, I think you, you got to give it a shot. So I I recommend it for sure.
1: Ah, good. Can't wait. That transitions nicely into the night comes for us, which was not directed by Gareth Evans, but it is an Indonesian film and it does star two of the dudes from the first raid movie. Well, actually Eco, I'm going to get his name wrong. Iko Uwais um, was in both Raid movies and some other uh, Indonesian action films, and Joe Taslam. And this movie, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I'm just going to say that a lot of people die in horrific, graphic, gory fashion. It's basically a movie about the triad and a guy who works for the triad and decides to defect and protect a little girl. And the triad comes for revenge against him and his buddies. And it is the most over the top violence I've seen in a movie in a long time. I know everyone loves the John wick movies. They're great, but that's a lot of just shooting people in the head. This is arms getting ripped off people getting, I mean, it is the most violent movie I've seen in a long time. It makes the uh, crazy 88 scene in, uh, Kill Bill look like Disney. I mean, <laughs> oh, it's <God>. nuts.
0: <clears throat> I got it, it, it.
1: I mean, you got, you've got to see it. It's one of those movies. I think Michael, you would like it probably more than me. It does go on for a while. And especially the last fight scene, there's a lot of martial arts in it. Um, Eco waste did the choreography for it. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing the choreography it's the special effects are great um there's not a lot of plot it is just it's it's other than like the first 10 minutes and maybe a 10 minute break in the middle it's non-stop balls to the wall crazy action i think it's going to be on netflix in about two weeks i can't wait um so yeah bring your buddies over have some beers it was amazing to see uh, in the theater and uh, highly recommended. It was definitely one of, the, one of my, my more favorite experiences. So <clears throat> that said, unless you have anything to say, let's you want to talk to Hold the Dark. Yeah, which we both
0: saw together. Um, yes. And Hold the Dark was very highly anticipated for me and for you because it's directed by, let's see if I get this name right, Jeremy Saulnier who is pretty much definitely my, my favorite directors going now. He did a uh, blue ruin, which is an amazing revenge drama, but so much more going than just that. And then he did green room, which is probably my favorite films in the past few years, as far as just like a violent uh, horror slash action thriller. That was just really just got me, got me uh, so riveted. It was so brutal yeah. and, and violent, but you, you He's got a real way of doing practical violence that you just don't see much anymore in this era of CGI stuff. He's just more very a hands-on, 70s type of filmmaker, which I love. And but Hold the Dark is a very different film uh from him, whereas Green Room was very constrained and, and about you know being kind of stuck in a small pace, and Blue Ruin was a fairly straightforward story of just a guy kind of exploring why he wants to have revenge. This is much more mystical. And it was Jeffrey Wright stars as a guy who wrote a book about how to uh, track wolves and he is hired by a woman who's lost her son to a wolf or so you think and he goes up to visit her in Alaska and try to find out what happened to her son and and she wants him to track down the wolf that killed her son but you learn over the course of the film that maybe she's not being entirely truthful and I thought... Boy. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and then it goes into a totally different region and introduces a different actor, and it gets very... Uh, just is a big left turn, which I was not expecting to see that shown in the film. I don't know about you, but I wasn't expecting them to kind of cross to a different country for that shot.
1: Yeah, that was... That scene... That whole segment was intense, man. It's... uh, it was, uh Alexander Sarsgaard. Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Uh Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, yeah he, he, there's a war scene, I guess, in Iraq or something, and it, it's uh, it's well done. I mean, it's intense. I mean, it ain't for the faint of heart. You know, there's certain things bug you. It's very violent in all kinds of ways. Just that one scene.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it yeah, it, it's it's based off a book which I have not read, but there is definitely some stuff in there that it kind of got. Towards the end, it, it 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 doesn't answer many questions. It kind of leaves you with 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 more questions. But what I was taking with it was by the cinematography, which is gorgeous, the acting, which is great, and there's one uh, uh, shootout scene, which is it's up there with Michael Mann stuff. It was so intense. That shootout was yeah. definitely the best part of the film. Yeah, don't
1: yeah we, we won't say more than that. But it's uh, but uh, it is the. Is one of the most riveting scenes of cinema I've seen this year. um, That, that scene. Uh, And I know I liked it better than you um, because I've already admitted that I love lost. And I like, I like, uh, I liked Prometheus a lot. I like things that are kind of open-ended that allow you to make your own interpretation or there's a mystical element to it. That kind of thing. I just think about it and stew over it. And what does it mean? And, and this movie definitely has that. And it can be, uh, I can see how it's not for everyone and can be frustrating. Whereas blue ruin and uh green room were very contained. The themes were straightforward. You knew what you were getting this movie. You're like, well, what were they trying to say exactly with that? I mean, it's there. I think it's there. And I think you have to draw your, your own conclusion to it, but it's, it's not easy. And I don't think there's a single answer and, and, but I'm, I'm going to go read that book as soon as I can.
0: Yeah. I I I might
1: be just as flummoxed by the book. I don't know, but,
0: but it's definitely worth watching. Definitely worth watching. And And I,
1: beautiful film.
0: And yeah, just, just for that one scene alone, it's worth seeing it. And it's, Definitely one I would, I would watch again just to kind of see what where I get out of it. But, yeah, it's very – that director is definitely one of my favorite guys out there. I, I'm looking forward to seeing his involvement with The New True Detective. If he's going to be involved that in much or not, I don't know. But that guy is, that guy is going places. So definitely he's one of – He's got the goods. It's on Netflix now already, so you should definitely be checking it out if you haven't already. So if you have Netflix, it's on there. Check it out.
1: It's worth watching. Right on okay so this kind of brings us uh let's try to get through some of these uh uh, last few films that sort of don't really fall into the category necessarily but they were some of our favorite films they kind of fell outside of horror or fell out of whatever they were just kind of strange movies that fit the spirit of the festival but uh defied categorization real easily i would say um and we'll start with one that we both saw, which was *Lords of Chaos*.
0: And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. This was really interesting because it's a, it's something I've been very fascinated by for years, which is that whole really weird black metal scene out of Norway, which was, you know, these, all these bands that burned churches and killed people and and were you know just took heavy metal lifestyle to a very fucked up place that you didn't think they would. That was you know. Someone could be that full of hate, and 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 yeah. So this this was a really weird movie because first off, even though it takes place in Norway, they they just cast American actors. Um, so they're with
1: American accents.
0: Yeah, American accents. They didn't even try to pretend like they're. I mean, they, it's set there, but they don't try to 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 push that over on the ice, which is kind of an interesting choice. And I forget uh, what's the Culkin brothers' first name. Do you, you know? I can't remember. I
1: think it. It's Ro- I think it's Rory in this one. So he I get Rory, and the other one mixed up, I yeah. think it's Rory Culkin.
0: yeah, so he plays the the main character, which is Euronymous, who is one of the uh one of the big figureheads in the black metal scene, and kind of tells the story of Mayhem, which are one of the most notorious bands in that genre, and how they they start off just being this band that were all like just snot nosed kids who were you know just about typical metal stuff and then it took a turn when they met a guy, what's that guy's name
1: um Varg, Varg. He goes by Varg. Yeah, his name's Christian, but Varg Vikernes.
0: Yeah, and and that guy is
1: a metal name.
0: That guy basically fucked it up for everybody. He was the one that I don't want to get too much into the details, but he was really the the catalyst behind all the most of the horrible stuff that happened over there. But there's also a character named Death, which is played by Val Kilmer's son, Um, and he was kind of a troubled, uh, played a troubled lead singer who. Was in the film for a short for a short bit, but it's a really strange movie because they they managed to have this really disturbing kind of uh, uh, backstory with like this odd dashes of humor. It kind of reminded me of River's Edge a little bit, just kind of this disaffected teenagers, kind of uh, you know trying to cope with life the best they can, but in very unproductive and and not so healthy ways. Um, but it was really weird mix of comedy and you know and, and and tragedy and it was very graphic. I mean, the violence is it's some serious violence. I mean, they don't, they don't sugarcoat it at all. I was, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's very brutal, but
1: it, it yeah, I was going to say uh, the violence is hardcore in this. Like there are three death scenes that are unflinching. Uh-huh. They're not stylized, really. It's just like you're watching and you're like, Ugh. <laughs> is this gonna end? It goes on a long time, all three of these death scenes, and one in particular, if this movie were to be like released to a main- you know main a lot of theaters or something, people would be upset by it. <clears throat> I'm not gonna say what it is, but there are gonna be people that are going to would take issue with this movie in this day and age. Um, because these are bad. The guys that are doing the killing are bad dudes. Obviously,
0: really bad. Um, They're
1: all bad. They're all kind of, they're all kind of bad dudes, but some of them are, are more a poser type, like doing it just for image. And some are like really living the life. And, uh, the thing that's weird about this movie, I really enjoyed it too. Is it's really, really funny. For a lot of it until it isn't Uh and it's jarring because you're laughing. And then suddenly it's like, Oh, Oh, uh, this is, this isn't funny. And then it gets funny again. And then it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. I didn't mind it. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's a knock on the movie, but it's going to be on an, it's going to be a knock for some people. Some people are going to be pissed off about this movie. I would think, um, that's just my guess. Uh, this what I liked about it is um, it takes this kind of GamerGate white boy men's right whiny oh, I'm so afflicted kind of characters and takes them to task. Yeah, it's totally.
0: It's not precious. It
1: really does. It's really just. It's a very timely movie because you're just like, and as funny as it is, it it kind of makes you cringe because you're like. These guys are really out there.
0: Yeah, they're still they're out
1: really, there. They're really a lot of scumbag nerds because these are nerds in some ways. Oh, total, I mean, t- total
0: nerds, total outcasts, yeah. and they don't they don't mythologize them at all, which I was – I really appreciated. They weren't trying to like you know make any case that they're like some torture artist or anything like that. They're just being shown for being just a bunch of dorks who let things go really badly out of hand. And, uh, one thing that I, I was reading some of the reviews that I, I particularly enjoyed reading was that, uh, the actor who plays Varg is Jewish. And I'm sure that will give that guy Varg, who actually served some time in prison, uh, I uh, it will probably piss him off because that guy is a very hardcore anti Semite. So <laughs> that was a nice touch on the that part of the director casting that guy. I thought that was a, that was a nice little fuck you there to, uh, to that whole movement, and that guy was really good as Varg as well. He was really played a great, great, twisted character, I thought.
1: Niveling bastard. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really don't want to derail this, but I went Wikipedia and all this stuff. Those dudes, these guys that killed people are all free right now. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in Norway with their justice system, but these dudes are flat out brutally killed people. And they are free. One of the guys... One of the guys actually got back together with his band.
0: Oh my god! And
1: played with them. Insane. I. I anyway, all right. Go see Lords of Chaos if you are uh, if that any of that sounds interesting to you. And uh, I am going to because this is kind of running a little long. I will say uh, really fast. Uh, Just about this festival overall, you know, I talked about how Hold the Dark really resonated with me because it has this kind of mysticism and uh, open-ended ambiguity to it. I felt like a lot of the movies um, in this festival, it was just a great week because a lot of them catered to me, catered to um, my taste, my style, like things that I like. And there are things that not everyone would like. And um, case in point, a movie that I really, really loved was called Starfish. Um, It is a sort of a horror movie, but not really. It's about a woman whose best friend dies at the beginning of the movie, and she's grieving. She goes to the woman's apartment. She plays this mixtape that her friend left for her. And when she wakes up the next morning, she discovers eventually discovers that the mixtape has brought on the apocalypse. Um, there's winter everywhere and there's these Lovecraftian crazy monsters roaming the earth. And it sounds like it's going to be this crazy, like by my description, post-apocalyptic movie. It's really not that <clears throat> it's really about this woman, um, grieving for her friend and you, and she was estranged from her friend. And so the whole movie, you get flashes of what happened to her, why she was depressed. Um, she's uh, piecing together a puzzle. These mixtapes have these signals in them. And when played, they might be able to reverse what happened. And so she's trying to find these mixtapes all over this town while avoiding monsters. The monsters are, are really a secondary piece of it. Um they are metaphors kind of for her grief. I know it doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but it really got to me on an emotional level. And the dude who made the movie, he's in some British band, but he played from Granddaddy and the Not Twist and Why. Oh,
0: wow. there are all these
1: mid-aughts indie bands that I really, really love. So I really love the music. I really, uh, the scary part, for being on a low budget um it's a beautiful film even if it kind of borrows from movies like the mist and some of these others um it's very slow contemplative loved it um so that's starfish if that interests you uh you want to talk about the flash gordon thing
0: yeah yeah i'm gonna talk about a uh, flash gordon doc real quick um so I am a huge Flash Gordon fan as a kid. I was absolutely obsessed with Flash Gordon. i, I watched that movie oh, countless times on cable. So um, it was really kind of fun seeing there's a documentary about uh, Sam Jones who played Flash Gordon. And if you watch Flash Gordon, you'll know you haven't seen much of Sam Jones after this film. And it was really kind of about why his career never really blossomed um, is some ego issues uh, what happened to him, kind of how he had to get humble and bring himself back up. But it was also a lot about the film itself. So there's a lot of interviews with the cast and crew. You got interviews with uh, Brian May talking about the queen score, just really, really fun. And it, it had a feel good quality, you know, kind of showing how this guy, uh, you know, how he went from, you know, his doldrums to going back and, and getting a new career and kind of getting a new, uh, I guess a new appreciation from fans for being the, the Ted films. So, um, if you're a fan of flash gordon it's it's you're really gonna enjoy it it's just a nice bit of nostalgia and also kind of a feel-good documentary which i'm always you know as much as i like dark stuff i don't mind seeing a, a nice story about someone getting their shit together once in a while it's kind of nice so yeah so life after flash is if you're into pop culture documentaries which is my, my favorite genres of film to watch then you're gonna you're gonna love it
1: awesome and i am going to Briefly, uh, I, I don't want to shortchange these movies. They were my two favorite movies that I saw at uh, Fantastic Fest. Um, the first is Under the Silver Lake, which is let me check my notes. The director of It Follows, which is uh, one of my favorite horror movies. I, again, I know Michael, it's not your one your favorite horror movie of, of of late but it's one that i i really dig um this is a dude david robert mitchell the director of under the silver lake i was highly anticipating this follow-up i'm not going to give a lot away about it i will say that i disliked the film pretty actively for the first 20 minutes <laughs> and then it grew on me like a like a nice suit it was uh it is the best way I can explain it is it's a, a pinball bouncing between three posts. Uh the one post being uh The Big Lebowski, one post being uh Mulholland Drive from uh David Lynch, and the other being an assortment of Hitchcock films. Um there are Hitchcock posters all over the movie. Um there are serious homages to Hitchcock. I mean, that's sort of where I think he's going with it, but it was very Lebowski-esque, very Mulholland Drive. It's an L.A. noir film. It's about this deadbeat guy who's trying to find a girl. I mean, it's not a super original plot, but it goes to some batshit places. All kinds of twists and turns. It's a very long movie, at least in its current cut. I don't know if it'll get cut down. Um, I heard that uh it may have already gotten cut down critics were uh, critical (laughs) of the film (laughs) i've been reading a lot of mixed positive reviews which i'm surprised because i came out of it going everyone's going to hate this movie except for me again it has such great music in it and it makes a lot of interesting uh Statements on pop culture, which I like that. I'm a shallow guy. I like pop culture movies and movies that comment on it. I really loved it. I can't recommend it to necessarily recommend it, but I really thought it was a lot of fun. Um, So, so I would, I would go see that. And then uh, my favorite movie of the festival and my favorite movie of the year so far. And it, Doubtful to be Topped is a movie that doesn't really fit in with Fantastic Vest. It's a stretch to call it a genre film or anything like that, and it is called Mid 90s, uh, written and directed by Jonah Hill, who you know as a comedic actor from many comedic films, and also some dramatic roles like Moneyball and Wolf of Wall Street, which is also a comedic role, but uh, mid 90s is kind of what Jonah Hill Jonah Hill was there doing a Q&A and he had the cast it's about skateboarding in the mid 90s in I don't even know what city it is um, but it's about these kids and all they do is hang out and they skateboard and they do drugs and they drink and if it sounds a lot like the movie Kids you are correct Jonah Hill said that was a huge touchstone for him. And Harmony Korine, who wrote Kids, uh, has a cameo in the movie. What's funny about this is I love the mid-90s, and I fucking hate Kids. <laughs> I hate that movie with a passion. It's a bunch of degenerates. I'm sure it's an authentic slice-of-life film for that culture but it is not anything that I can relate to. And it's not a fun movie to watch. No, this movie, Jonah Hill flat out said, as much as he loves kids, he wanted to make the anti kids. He, he wanted to make a movie where these kids are doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing. Um, but they're, they have each other's back. Uh, they're, they're friends. They love each other. Um, they all come from troubled lives. uh, and that really resonated with me. Again, the best soundtrack of the movie. If you love classic hip-hop and classic classic 90s alternative rock, it is heaven, just listening to the music um, and just watching this kid. This kid, uh, actor, he's not up for best actor. I mean, he should be. He's probably 12. I think he was 12 years old when they filmed it. This kid gets beat up goes through the ringer there's good you want to talk problem quotes problematic (laughs) people people might have a problem with this movie what this kid does and goes through and uh in the movie it's pretty hardcore um but it's so well acted so real so beautiful and i the kids in it are wonderful can't say enough about it Best movie of the year, in my opinion. Um, but are we are we at the point? So you thought this podcast was long. We're about to talk for another hour about <laughs> I just wanna... the worst movie that both of us saw. <laughs> oh, and man. also the best cinematic experience, I think, that we had. I mean, it was definitely one of the best cinematic experiences I had at the festival.
0: For for sure, as, as much as I'm kind of bummed at missing some of the stuff that you saw, I'm certainly glad that 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 you changed my mind to watch this. I, I, I was going to watch a film that we both did not see called Overlord, which has been released recently. It's a it's a uh, a uh, JJ Abrams produced Nazi horror genre film, but we decided to say fuck that, and we went and then we saw Between Worlds, which is a Nicolas Cage film, and even by all other Nicolas Cage films, you you you've never seen Nicolas Cage go full frontal Nicolas Cage like you see in between worlds. I, I'm still trying to piece together what happened. Uh, I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell we just saw. I didn't think it could go any weirder than I've seen Nicholas Cage in some films like Adaptation or Vampire's Kiss or but oh boy, he goes way beyond that. So and,
1: and, and let me yeah, let me break in and say that I have not seen Mandy yet. Me I, plan on remi- I plan on remedying that very soon. And I know people, what we just said, people are saying that about Mandy, but people are also saying Mandy is a good film.
0: Yeah, they won't say this that about this. This movie
1: is a piece of shit. It's terrible. <laughs> it's really, really bad. And I think it's intentionally so. Now, intentional, intentionally bad, your Sharknadoes, it's usually really stupid and boring, but those movies don't have the cage. No, the cage. I so we the plot is irrelevant to this, but the I, I feel like the director kind of just said, Nick, what do you want to do in this scene? Just be as weird as you want to be. Like I kind of feel like the script wasn't much of a script and. Uh, we saw the Q and a after this movie with the director and it was just as weird as the movie. She kept referring to Nicolas Cage as Mr. Cage. Well, Mr. Cage
0: uh-huh.
1: he's yeah. a performance artist. And so I, I gave the script to Mr. Cage and I, it was so weird. I mean, the actress, there was an actress from the movie on the Q and a, and she looked weirded out by the whole thing too. Like, I didn't know what I was getting into, and I'm not real happy about it. But I'm here.
0: Yeah, I mean, she was she, weird. She, she joked that she thought she was afraid she's going to become a meme. <laughs> and I think I think I think she, I, I can I think, see
1: a couple of scenes where that might happen. I think she, if this movie catches on.
0: But what was, um, what was crazy to me though is that this, this film is such a piece of junk, but it has music by Angela lamente which, yes. which you know, from Twin <laughs> Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet, you know, a really renowned composer. But it, it also, it didn't say, I remember distinctly in the credits, normally it says musical score by or Sandra, It says musical theme by Angelo Balamente, which is strange because usually the musical theme is like the main theme, but they were calling the entire score a theme, which I thought was really weird too. It's, it's that kind of film, but nothing really quite made sense. It was all just kind of off. Um, I do recall one scene where some very Twin Peaks music comes on while they're trying to drink coffee, which I thought was a really awkward reference to Twin Peaks, which is kind of strange. And it's pretty clear the director is very into David Lynch. It's got that very David Lynch, awkward stilted performance thing going for it. And uh yeah, I mean, you never see Nicholas Cage like you've seen him here and I've seen him in all sorts of strange films, but nothing like this. This was something, this was something special. I mean, I think I laughed the entire film from start to finish, which is a feat into itself. So for that.
1: Yeah. It has got uh Franca Potent
0: Potemkin uh, yeah. her name
1: from Run Lola Run. hmm And she was in the first born movie. She's a good actress.
0: But she wasn't but in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just kinda her her delivery was so weird. It was like she was just kinda Yeah, just like she seemed like she was she seemed confused. <laughs> <laughs> just, as 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 were we all. She, <laughs> I just yeah. It's yeah
1: best um, comedy of the year. Like like we were talking about vinegar syndrome and all the bad movies that came out. You know, in over the seventies, eighties, and nineties. You know those things that you you're in college, you rent with your buddies, and they're bad movies, and you laugh at them because they're bad, you enjoy them. Some of them are done earnestly, and some of them are a little bit tongue-in-cheek or whatever, like your trauma movies or something like that. This feels very much in that vein. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I haven't seen a movie capture that spirit like this has. This feels like watching a really bad movie from the 70s made by amateurs. It felt like a porno film, you know, those porno films with plots that you take the sex out and it's just the plot. That's what this movie kind of was like. Um, And like you said, with David Lynch, kind of weirdness, like the weird, random humorous moments in every David Lynch project that you're like, that's bizarre. Like, why was that in this movie? Like it was very, uh, very Lynchian. But not good. But but great. It's weird.
0: And I think the porn description is very apt because it, it it looked like it was shot like like a like an eighties porno. <laughs> looked that real cheaply lit, very, you know, uh very skimpy budget. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it looked like a you know, like, like a max movie that just goes off the rails. I mean I just Yeah. I'm still yeah.
1: trying to max movie. Yeah, it's I'm still trying But, to... but with, Nicolas Cage, with, with Nicolas Cage having sex with his clothes on in yeah. almost every sex scene. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean. Because there is sex in it, but Nicolas Cage is wearing his clothes in every scene. I, we, I only want to give away the gags, and I know we haven't even talked about the plot. It's kind of irrelevant. You should just go in and, and again, if you can get together with your buddies, you know. If you have any kind of form of inebriation that you prefer, get in that state of mind. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's. I hope people, I hope people discover it. But I yeah, I don't want it to be one of those. Some movies now come out and they're cult movies, but they're they're not really cult movies because they they were released to a wide audience. This one has a legit shot.
0: Yeah, th- th- this this could definitely be a. a- a cult a cult film for, for years to come if it has a chance to find its audience and and I think given the given the hype that Mandy is getting, I think that's it's more of a more of a shot that it will, since Nicolas Cage's profile has been kind of raised in the past in the near future where he was kind of, you know, not so much in, in years past, kind of it's the doldrums. So maybe this is some sort of a weird career renaissance of both a good weird movie and a bad weird movie and you know, Nicolas Cage, you can't have too much Nicolas Cage, I guess. Or I guess you can, but in this case, uh, <laughs> you got you to gotta see it. I mean, you got to see it. That's, that's Yeah. And I think that covers it. Oh, I guess we should also mention that we got to see Tenacious D perform, and that was really cool.
1: Oh, yeah. That, that's one of the neat things about Fantastic Fest. You know, a lot of the filmmakers and actors come out and they do Q&As, and sometimes they hang out. And Tenacious D, they showed their... New project, their new animated project, which we didn't see, but we did get to watch them play in a little club, and that was a lot of fun.
0: Very much fun, and I'll never forget me and Jamie Lee Curtis. So it was a quite the fantastic fest. So thank you again for the it free was, for the free pass. I had a lot of fun. It was a very very good time.
1: You are welcome. I'm glad we could do it. I Had a lot of fun doing it.
0: Absolutely. Glad we can make this podcast happen, and hope that people out there get a sense of the kind of films they should check out. And be sure to look for those when they're released out throughout the year. And hopefully maybe we'll do another podcast next year to see Fantastic Fest if we're so lucky enough. Maybe not. We'll have to see what the, future right. bring, what the future brings. But I'm glad we got this one. So it was a lot of fun.
1: All right. Bye.
0: All right, well, that wraps up our recap of Fantastic Fest 2018. hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, be sure to check out uh, the theater releases for the year to check out the films we've discussed or check your Netflix listings. Uh, Check back next week. I'll be interviewing the singer for Nightclub, Emily Cavanaugh, discussing her new album, Scary World, and her upcoming fall tour of The Perfect Circle. I've also got some other interviews in the works, so check back often. See you guys next week, and take care and talk to you soon.